Hi, and welcome to the Dying to Ask podcast. I'm Deirdre Fitzpatrick. Today is part two of my conversation with Dr. Ivan Meisner. Now, if you're like, what, part two? I didn't even hear part one. No worries. They are the same food group, but you don't have to have heard the first one to be able to listen to today. So you can totally do them out of order. Uh, If you did not hear the first one, let me bring you up to speed on who Dr. Ivan Meisner is. He is a thought leader in the personal development space and the author of a new book called Who's in Your Room? The Question That Will Change Your Life. He is the founder of Business Network International. It's BNI for short. And basically, it's a business networking organization, and it's global. There are 10,000 chapters of this thing around the world. He has a PhD from USC. He has written 28 books. He's a new York Times bestselling author. He's written for Entrepreneur Magazine. Forbes and CNN have called him the founder of modern networking. And I'm just going to tell you right now, he's one of my new favorite people. He is a super cool guy. So in part one, we focused on the power of small talk and how to network, especially coming out of the pandemic when all of our interpersonals kind of went south. So today we're doing a bit of a deeper dive into the title of his new book. So who's in your room? The question that will change your life. We're talking basically about the people that you surround yourself with. So the premise of it, and basically, uh, disclaimer, I'm reading right off the back of his book right now, is imagine that you live your entire life in one room, and inside are all the people with whom you've ever had a relationship. The room is infinitely large, and anyone you let in is in your room for the rest of your life. Neurologists report that as far as your brain is concerned, the metaphor is real because memories and emotions continue to influence you for better or worse, long after their external cause has disappeared. If you have somebody that maybe you worked with years ago who triggers something in you, even at their name years later, this is what I'm talking about. (laughs) So the question is, who do you want in your room? On this dying to ask, the types of people you need to be on your personal team. How to be that person, a good person for those people around you. How to cut off ties with somebody you no longer want to be around with minimal collateral damage. And how to authentically reestablish a connection with a friend you've lost touch with over the years. This is part two of my conversation with Dr. Ivan Meisner. Have you ever wondered how did they do that? I do all the time. I'm Deirdre Fitzpatrick and Dying to Ask is the podcast that gets me off a TV news set and into candid conversations with authors, entrepreneurs, athletes, and influencers I have been dying to talk to. Soak up the motivation that comes from learning how other people live their lives, how they take an idea or a goal, they follow through, and they pull it off. And maybe along the way, I'll get some answers to questions you've been dying to ask. Dr. Ivan Meiser, thank you so much for being back on the Dying to Ask podcast. My pleasure. It's a, it was great. I had so much fun before. I'm happy to be back. Well, I, I'll be honest. I'm being a little selfish. I'm getting to extend my morning with you. <laughs> with a second episode. And I want to specifically go into the title of your latest book, which is called Who's in Your Room? The Question That Will Change Your Life. And as we talk about the idea of figuring out, you know, who are you? You are the people that you're around in many, many cases. Where did the the theory of the book come in in for for you? Um, Where did you come up with that and why did you think it was so important? My co-author, Stuart Emery, um, was the one that came to me with the idea. And and here's the concept uh, as briefly as possible. Imagine you live your life in one room. 
And that one room has one door. And that one door is an enter-only door so that when people come into your room or into your life, they're there forever. Mm. You can never get them out. I have teenagers. This is sounding familiar. <laughs> so, uh, you know, a lot of people say to me, well, it's a metaphor. I can get, I can get them out of my life. So here's, here's the question that I asked them. And Deirdre, this is what I'd like you to do. I'd like you to think of somebody that you got out of your life. You got them out of your life. And I want you to think about why you got them out of the life. And if you're watching this or listening to this, I want you to do the same. I want you to think of somebody you got out of your life. And then I want you to think about why you wanted them out. Now, I'm not going to make you name the person. So you're safe. Okay. Do you have someone in mind? I want you to think of the last thing they did that made you so angry. Do you have somebody in mind? Uh-huh. Okay, so here's the deal. If they're still in your head, they're still in your room, and they will be there for the rest of your life. We interviewed Dr. Daniel Amen, psychiatrist and neuroscientist, and he said, when you have a relationship with someone, personal, professional, their, their fingerprints are all over your brain for the rest of your life. Good and bad. There are people that have changed our lives in a positive way. They're in our head. They're in our room. There are those people that we should have never allowed in. Mm. And you said you have teenagers. I wish, yes. I wish I'd have read this book when I was a teenager. I'm glad I wrote it. But this book is great for teenagers because it, it, the idea is that you, get, you have this mental doorkeeper that you establish in your mind that says, okay, this person doesn't get to come into my room. They're going to stay out on the, on the, on the patio. They're not, they're not coming in. And I think that's really important. That's such an interesting thing because as you were talking about that idea of, of knowing this information as a teenager, I was thinking the way they actually live these days because so much of the people in their room are online. Yeah. And that's, you know, what influences a lot of how they think and how they act and how they feel and how they make choices and decisions. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's an interesting, they're, they're in such a different place than you and I were. They are. Uh, and, and me in particular, because you're clearly younger than I am. And, but yeah, I was, uh, you know, nothing like that existed. Um, even when I started my business in 1985, it didn't exist, the, the internet. Um, but, you know, negativity has existed for a long time. When I was, I was diagnosed with uh, cancer about 11 years ago, and I'm healthy, fully in remission, all is good. But one of the first things I did was make a decision on who I surround myself with, both in terms of people. And this is before I did the book. I wanted to, to get the negative people away from me, the toxic people away from me, but also what I put into my head. What was I watching on TV? And there was, a, there was a, a murder mystery show that I absolutely loved and I stopped watching it because it was so dark. It was mm -hmm. kind of the wrong stuff. If I'm trying to heal myself, that's probably not what I want in my head right now. And so I started watching the comedy routines and I'd get on YouTube and watch funny stuff because what you put in your head is what comes out in your behavior in many, many ways. And it's harder for kids because the social media is everywhere. So lockdown gave a lot of people of all ages the opportunity to have that kind of inner dialogue with themselves. And you do hear a lot of people at a lockdown saying, um, these people don't really serve me anymore, or we're not really a good fit anymore. Yeah. Um, so I do feel like some people have done a little bit of a clearing house. What would you say is a good way to look at those relationships in your life very critically yeah. moving on from here, from where we all are now? 
So the first thing I would do is you got to get good with your values. You have to know what your values are. When I ask people what their values are, it's like deer in the headlights. They don't know. Oh, honesty. Great. Give me, you know, give me six more. They don't know. So um, then I talk about deal. Uh, if you don't know your values, let's talk about uh, deal breakers. And so people get deal breakers. Boom. They know what a deal breaker is. So for now, I am going to ask you this question. What's mm -hmm. a deal breaker for you? What would be Buyers like, lying. 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 Yeah. Okay. So people lying. who lie, you, they're out. And so that's one of the things that you want your doorkeeper, your conscious and subconscious mind to scream for. Here's the big one though. Assess your room, the, the people in your life. Are they engines or anchors? Now, let me explain this. Are they engines, people that drive you forward in a positive way to make you a better version of yourself? Or are they anchors just weighing you down for any number of reasons? For me, it was drama. I just I had people in my life that just <laughs> were dripping in drama. And, you know, toxic people and things like that. Those are anchors that pull you down. So assess your room. You want the anchors in the far corner. You don't want them around you anymore. You want to surround yourself with the engines, the people that make you a better version of yourself. And of course, the worst to have in your room are the are the anchors with an engine attached because they're going to take you down fast. So in some ways, it sounds a little transactional. I mean, I could see people maybe hearing that and saying, well, that's very, you know, being very picky with the community that you happen to be in. But I don't. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Be picky. Yeah. That's not transactional. Okay. You have to be picky. Come on, you've got teenagers. I bet you have said to your kids more more than once, I don't want you hanging around that kid. That kid's bad news. That's not a good <laughs> No, I'm going to tell you something. I've learned my lesson on that. I got to reverse yeah. engineer. I have to like do the, the Jedi mind trick on that one. <laughs> okay, all right. So I, I, I choose my language a little differently um, because I have found that that will obviously force them into, force that person into their room. So you say who you do like them being around. Um, I like to point out, I won't tell them that you put this on. on the <laughs> yeah, they, God knows they won't listen to this. Uh, no, you know what I will do? I will, I will say things like, um, that person seems to really have your back. Oh, that nice. must be really, that must be really, oh, I play dirty. That must be really <laughs> nice to have a friend who looks out for you like that. That's really kind. That must be really, that must feel really good. That is a great way of yeah. putting it. But one might think that that is also transactional. You're, you're nudging. 100%. Right? Okay. <laughs> yeah. And so there's nothing wrong with that. If, if, you're, if your intent is good, if your intent is healthy, and your intent should be healthy for yourself, I don't want to be around this person anymore for these yeah. reasons. And so looking for engines, I want people who, who make me a better version of myself, not somebody that's complaining and dragging me down all the time. There's nothing wrong with that. For people, when, when you re recognize there are just people that are maybe not the healthiest people for you to be around anymore, what yeah. is a, a good way or an effective way to maybe create that distance? Yeah. So benign neglect works really, really well. <laughs> even, even when you don't want it to work, right? You think back right. to people that you went to school with, who you were friends, you liked them, you loved them, they were great. But over time, you kind of lost touch. And benign neglect, um, you know, you, you really don't know who they are anymore. And, and so imagine doing it with a plan. So you now this person I'm going to apply benign neglect to, and I'm going to treat them in homeopathic doses. 
meaning I'm going to do the minimum necessary to interact with them to gradually distance myself from this individual. And so if you're going to, you know, if you're going to be in their town, uh, don't call them two weeks before and let them know, you know, email them the night before and say, hey, I'm just happen to be in town. I'm free to have a cup of coffee at two o'clock if you are, uh, you know, let me know. They may not even pick up the email. And if they do, you set parameters. I'm free between two and three. Let's have a cup of coffee. Yeah. And so you just start doing homeopathic doses and benign neglect. Now let's let's talk about whether it's somebody really got a serious issue. And, and I have this story in the book. It's awesome. They, this person read the first edition of the book. And uh, in there, we talked about, you may be in my room, but your baggage has to stay out. And she said, I had this one relative who comes to family events, family dinners, and throws in these verbal hand grenades that just make everyone crazy. We and all it, have this relative. Yes, we do. And so it's like she'd come in and she'd throw this in and everybody would get upset. People would leave, they'd be yelling. So she said, I read, your, I read the first edition. So this story is in the, the, the second edition. She said, I read it. And we sat down as a family without her. And we said, the next time she comes in and throws in a verbal hand grenade, what we all need to do if we're in earshot is we need to turn to her and say, oh, hmm, okay. And then turn back and continue our conversation. Ignore it. And they were like, I don't know if that'll work. They tried it. It worked brilliantly. She was shocked. It was like, she just, she didn't rile people up. She actually stopped coming to most of the family dinners because no one, she couldn't get people upset. Who knows why that was important to her, but it was. But it and was. so, you know, your doorkeeper, uh, you also have a concierge in your mind. That's your concierge. I'm going to control the baggage that you bring in with you. Right. So who are the types of people we should all aim to surround ourselves with? I always feel like I need a cheerleader. I need somebody who is as happy for me as I am for them when something good happens. Yeah, I think, you know, I think that type is, is fantastic to have. What you want to find are people who have values that resonate, resonate with you. They don't have to be the same values as yours. They can be different, um, but they have to resonate. So, uh, and I've seen this done. Uh, I'm not a musician, but if you take two pianos and you have two people sitting at both pianos and one person hits the uh, middle C key hard and the second person hits no key, but presses the sustain pedal on the second piano. The second piano vibrates, hmm. hums. That's resonance. And so uh, what's resonant for you may be different for me. I don't need a cheerleader. I, I you know, I, it's nice to have one, but that's not a big thing for me. So what resonates for me is based on my values. What resonates for you is based on your values. They may not be, we may not have the same values, but we may resonate with each other because our values are not dissonant you know, fingers, fingernails on a scratch board dissonant. Does that make sense? It does. It does. And it, it seems like as you move to different phases of your life, you kind of have to do a little evaluation of like, yeah. who are the people that are, who's in my five, as the commercial says, like, who are my people right now? And those are going to yeah. change. They will change over time. And sometimes good people go bad. You know, good people have something, uh, some life experience that just turns them bitter. And uh, they become a challenge. And that's when it's time, you know, my mom taught me when I was a young, young man, she said, you know, sometimes you're gonna have problems, sometimes you're gonna have people who are problems, and you got to mentally take them in a box, take them, put them in a box, and put them high on the shelf. Hmm. And they're gonna be there, you know, if you need to pull it down and take a look at it and talk to it, you can do that. But you got to mentally compartmentalize those 
situations and put them, otherwise you're just going to drive yourself crazy um, thinking about those. And that was good advice to me. And I think, it, and we have that in the book as a concept, you, you do that mentally. Is there ever a time when if benign neglect isn't really working, you just are direct with someone and saying, I yeah. can't, I don't want to be around you anymore. Should you ever do that yeah. so bluntly? Well, it, it depends on the situation. So, you know, my son is like, just tell people, you know, if they're being an idiot, just tell them, I don't want to be around you anymore. I'm like, yeah, okay. That, maybe that works for you. It doesn't work for me. I don't yeah. like to burn bridges. I would my feel late, so bad. <laughs> my late wife was brilliant with this. She um, did benign neglect with somebody because she, there was something that this woman was doing uh, that related to drugs that was just completely unacceptable to my, my, my wife. And so she was using benign neglect. And had she said immediately, I don't like that behavior. I don't want to be around you anymore. It would have, it, there would have been a clash. But she did this like over a two, three year period. And finally, the woman said to her, you know, I've noticed that we're not connecting like we used to connect. Um, is there some reason for it? And that gave my wife the, the opening to explain how she felt uncomfortable being with her because of that. And you know, it was like, that's who you are. And that's fine. I'm not judging who you are. But that's not okay for me. And, and so that's what you're feeling. That's and, so interesting. And the woman was like, I get it. I'm, I'm, I'm disappointed, but I get it. And, and neither one of them got mad. And they stayed quasi in touch. Um, but uh, so that works if you do it gently. Oh, your late wife was a very wise woman, wasn't she? I married up. Yes, you did. <laughs> she sounds absolutely lovely. One in, last question. One of my books, let me tell you what, one of my books, yeah. the, 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 um, the, 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 the acknowledgement, uh, um, I make the living and she makes the living worthwhile. Oh. Yeah, that was her. That's beautiful. I have one last question for you. Um, sometimes you'll have somebody, as you get older, you have somebody who crosses your mind. You haven't talked to them for whatever reason for a while. Maybe it's a former colleague or a friend or you know a, a parent from when your kids were really young. What is a good way to reach out to someone you haven't talked to in a long time that is um, sincere? It doesn't sound creepy or stalkery or something, but what's a good way to reestablish a friendship? I think social media is the best way. I think LinkedIn uh, or, or you know, Facebook, where, wherever they are at, if you're there, that's a great way to connect and just say, hey, it's been eons since we've connected. You know, I found you here. Um, if you have some time, I'd love to reconnect or maybe we can chat via email or, or whatever. Just making that contact works. It, it generally works. If you had a friendship before, it will work now in most cases. And um, that's the beauty of social media is that it flattens the communication hierarchy, right? You can connect with anyone. I went to school with the deputy director of the Federal Aviation Administration <laughs> in a doctoral degree. Wow. This is before social media. How can you stay in touch with the deputy director of the Federal Aviation Administration? You can't call him on the phone. <laughs> you know, there, there were no mobile phones back then. So social media is a way of reconnecting with people that you've gone to school with in the past that you want to that you want to strike up a conversation with again. But don't do it to sell to them, because that's what happens: is people reconnect on the under the guise of wanting to catch up, and then they pitch them on pitch them on right. something, and don't do that. Yeah, maybe it's more of a you cross my mind because of the memory, whatever yeah, it is that you thought yeah, of. Exactly. Yeah, that's great. So let me just wrap up with you. Um, maybe just a final thought of, for people to challenge themselves about thinking about the people that they're surrounded with, who's in their room. 
Yeah, listen, you're the curator of your room and, and your life. And, um, and I think you can create uh, a, a room that you want to design. And uh, part of it is based on this idea of having balance in your life. So uh, Deirdre, would you like to know the secret yes. to balance? I got it. Are you ready? Forget about balance. You'll never have it. And usually when I say this in a public audience, it's like, oh, I thought you were going to have something good. I got something good. I do have something good. Because the problem with balance is we look at it like scales, that our, our private life must be in, um, uh, our personal life has to be in balance with our work, which has to be in balance with our spirituality and our health. And it's a, life is more of a juggling act than a, a balancing act. And so I don't think you can have a life of balance in curating the room you want. But I do think you can have a life of harmony. Even the graphic for harmony, the yin and the yang, are unbalanced if you were to separate them. They're unbalanced. And so one of the things that we talk about in curating the room of your dreams is to create, uh, don't beat yourself up because balance is almost impossible, but create a life of harmony. And you do that, and we talk a lot about multiple techniques. Let me just give you two. One, be here now. Wherever you are, be fully present to that moment. Don't be at work thinking about the fact that you didn't spend time with the family last night. Don't be with the family thinking about the project that has to be done at work. Be present. Two, create margins. Open any book on the left, on the right, on the top, the bottom, there are margins. Your life needs margins. If you want to have a life of harmony, create margins. Space for yourself. Space to, to do the things that you feel you want to do, to breathe, to sleep, to binge watch some, don't feel guilty for binge watching something. If you work hard and you have a life that's busy, binge watch it. It's okay. That's part of your, your, your margins. And that's how you create harmony. I have a lot of other ideas on creating harmony, but there's, there's a handful. Then you create, if, if you have a great doorkeeper, you know your values and you live a life of harmony, you create the life of your dreams. Well, Dr. Meisner, thanks for spending some time in my room today. <laughs> My been a real, this has been a real treat for me. I really appreciate it. The book is called Who's in Your Room? The Question That Will Change Your Life. And you are a very, very frequent blogger, which I'm very impressed by. You've been blogging for a long time. What's a good way for people to keep up with you that way? Uh, go to ivanmeisner.com. All of my content there is free. I've been doing it for 15 or 16 years. So there are, there's over a thousand blogs there. Uh, and of course, anyone that's interested in the company I started, BNI is bni.com. The only thing better than listening to Dr. Meisner on a podcast is reading his blog. It's ivanmeisner.com, and it is a rabbit hole, but it is so good. Great information. Recent entries included how not to be boring when you're networking, legacy being about your present, and how to be a better communicator, like really how to talk to people in a way that they'll listen. So I totally encourage you if you have some time and you just want to continue the conversation, the dialogue in your own head, go check out his website. Again, it's ivanmeisner.com. This week's What I'm Listening To, I suggest you go listen to On With Kara Swisher in an episode that was released March 9th. 
with Jamie Lee Curtis and Donna Langley. So Jamie Lee Curtis, the actress who was nominated um, for the movie Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, and then Donna Langley, the Universal Film Studio head, whose name you might not know, but I bet you know her latest project. She's the one who greenlit Cocaine Bear. So the three of them had this incredible conversation about the entertainment industry, and specifically, Jamie Lee Curtis, I was fascinated to find out, is a total businesswoman. She made a very conscious decision at the age of 60 that she needed to be in the game business-wise. And she has made some really specific choices in the work that she does that have added this new energy to her work overall, which I think is really cool. And then the other thing I had no idea about her is that she is a master inventor and not entertainment-related stuff. She holds several patents and um, has some just really interesting other like interests that maybe you wouldn't have guessed based on what you probably know her for. I would love it if you could share this episode with a friend. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts right now, if you look at your phone, you will see a little purple circle with three dots in it. Touch that and it will pop up a window that gives you a whole list of options. If you hit share episode, you can text, email, and then post the episode on social media. Now, Spotify is even slicker. Spotify also has a little three-dot option on the episodes. But when you hit it there, it lets you subscribe. It lets you rate the show and then share it as well. If you have a minute, I would super appreciate it. Um, if you could take a moment to share the word about Dying to Ask. It only takes like 20 seconds, promise. Podcasters love this. So if you're not going to do it for my show, if you hear something else in the future and you can do- share it, people, trust me makes a big impact. I'm Deirdre Fitzpatrick, and I'll be back next Friday with another Dying to Ask podcast.